go ahead and sip some water before I start here because I haven't talked in front of people for a few weeks and my wife has warned me that I'm going to lose my voice. So for those of you guys that knew, uh, my, my family was uh, dealing with COVID. By the way, good morning. I'm Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, so uh, my family just had COVID and so uh, I had pretty mild symptoms, but uh, we'll see if my voice can make it through 45 minutes or so, um, maybe two hours of nonstop talking. I don't know. So what happens when you don't let a preacher preach for a while, we just get going. Um, for, for your all sake, just so you know, and I'm already off task, so go ahead and add on to the minutes, right? I ran through it this week to try to get uh, a, a reasonable amount of time down, so we'll see how close I am to my, my practice. Um, so anyway, Ruth chapter 4 is where we are going to be this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over there. We'll also have it up on the screen for you guys as well, uh, but we are going to be bringing our study of the book of Ruth uh, to a close. Uh, next week, we will begin roughly a 25-30 week study uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians. And um, so we're, we're excited about that. We'll give you guys scripture journals next week. Um, you know, but basically, here at Aletheia Church, we study books of the Bible together on Sunday mornings. And then as we do that, we study them again together throughout the week in our gospel communities because we believe God's word is powerful and effective, that it speaks to us. And we want God's word and the whole counsel of God's word to be working in our lives. And as we study God's word together and as we're on mission together, and as we're seeking to figure out what it means to be the church in 2021, that we're living at out and that we're going to the source of uh, truth in all of that in God's word. And so that's why we do that here. So if you're ever like, why do you guys spend like 30 weeks uh, studying a book of the Bible together? Or for those of you guys that were here when we did Matthew, almost two years. The reason is, is because I want you guys to have the best equipping that you can possibly have as you approach life. As you approach life. And that means you need to hear it from God's word, not from me. Right. I would love to preach about seven or eight topics to you guys over and over again. I could just recycle the sermons over and over again, just say them a different way and maybe practice my cadence and be like a stand-up comedian or something like that. But the reality is, is what we need is we need the full counsel of God and we need his word. And so that's what we do here. And so for those of you guys that have not been with us as we've been studying the book of Ruth or for those of you guys that have short-term memory loss and have forgotten what we've seen so far, Right, let me just kind of recap what we've seen in the book of Ruth so far as we've been studying it over the course of the last six weeks. I said in the, in the first week that we started studying this book together that there's some major themes that we're going to see throughout this little Old Testament narrative. And those are going to be themes of, of loss and pain and suffering, but that in the midst of seeing suffering and, and, and being very real and prevalent in the lives of in particular, Ruth and Naomi, that we were also going to see by the end of our time in the book of Ruth how God is still sovereign in the midst of that hurt and pain and suffering that Ruth and Naomi would experience. And that what we would also see as we see this very, very real scenario playing out before us in Ruth and Naomi's life that we would also see that it's a beautiful story of God's redemption and grace in the midst of that suffering. And so we saw kind of our, our three main characters were Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And the big theme that I want us to take away 
from the, the story of Ruth, as we've studied this together over the, the course of the last six weeks, is that when we look at pain and suffering in the life of Ruth and Naomi, and when we look at pain and suffering in our own life, and sometimes when we are in a, in a season of suffering or pain or depression or anxiety or difficulty, we're so consumed by the negativity that's sitting right in front of us that we fail to see God is at work even when we can't see it. That, that what God might be doing in the midst of that difficulty, that valley, that suffering, we might not see it, but it does not mean that God is absent. It does not mean that God is not at work. And what we've seen is that God is at work all over the place throughout this story. I mean, at every turn, God is doing something, right? Consider Ruth. She's a Moabite woman, and she and her people were enemies of Israel and God's people. Yet in the course of this story, she goes from being an enemy of God and an enemy of Israel to a child and a follower of God and a daughter of Israel. Think about Boaz, right? God has led Boaz through the proclamation of his word and his love for Boaz and Boaz's love for God to be an agent of love for both God himself, but also an agent of love for the people that he is uh, an employer of and a redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. God's orchestrating all of that. God is orchestrating, even redeeming Naomi, who in the first chapter goes from hopeless to, as we see here at the end of our text, hope-filled. She goes from having zero hope in God and what he's doing to being hopeful for the future and what God is doing among her. And all of this comes to a conclusion in our text this morning because God is going to bring clarity to everything we've seen in the story up to this point. That God's redemption in the life of Naomi and in the life of Ruth and in the life of Boaz, not only does he bring redemption and salvation to all of them, but it had a much deeper impact than just that family. That what God does through Ruth and Naomi's life is going to bring redemption to all of Israel and to those of us sitting here this morning we, we are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, we are connected to the family lineage and suffering of Ruth and Naomi. That God used their suffering and pain as part of the redemptive narrative to one day bring Christ into the world and redeem us all. Because God is far bigger. And his plans are far greater than anything we could dare imagine. And so hopefully we'll leave this morning, right, not only seeing how God was at work in Naomi's life and in Ruth's life and in their suffering, and we might even see how God saved through that suffering, but hopefully we'll be able to walk away and start answering some questions about how God might ultimately work through our own suffering as well. And so if you guys would just take a moment, bow your head, and pray with me before we dive into the text. God, thank you for your word. Truly, it is life and peace to weary souls. It is hope, not because of the words themselves, but because of what they testify to, and that is you and your grandeur. Lord, would you help us, those of us in this room this morning, 
to see clearly the beauty of what you're doing in the story of Ruth. And as you do that, Lord, will you help us to see your love, your power, and your grace towards us more clearly. And Lord, might that lead us to love you more and to see a greater worship of you in our lives and in those around us. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Ruth chapter 4, right, starting in verse 13. Holly read that for us just a minute ago, but let me just kind of read through this again real quick just so we're familiar with what's going on at this point in the story. Uh, Ruth and Boaz are married, and then this happens, right? So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So, so Ruth and Boaz give birth to a son, and, and this doesn't probably land with us as heavily in 2021 as it would have landed during uh, Ruth's time. Because the, the idea of having and giving birth to a son was a very, very big deal in Israel at this time. Um, the, the, the Lord gives conception to Ruth, and, and I, we should just note here just for a minute that from all accounts, Boaz appears to be unmarried and not have any children from what we can see in the text. And Ruth who had been married previously, also did not have any children when she was in Moab. And so this was a miracle for them. They went, Ruth in particular, went from believing that her family line was done and that she was not going to contribute to the continuation of the family line to now having a son. And not only did she give birth to a child, but having a son was a big deal for a number of reasons in Israel. The word son in Hebrew sounds very similar to the word in Hebrew for being built up. And oftentimes in ancient Israel, what, the way it happened is, is your inheritance was tied to the firstborn son. And so to have a son was to continue to build the legacy of your family and the continuation of that family line and their place in the history of Israel and their contribution to God and his people. And so this was super important to the long-term building of the line of Elimelech really in many ways, especially for Naomi, but even Ruth, who had agreed to come alongside Naomi and be a part of her people. And if you remember all the way back in Ruth chapter 1, verse 9, one of the first things we see is Naomi trying to convince Ruth and Orpah to stay back in Moab and restart their lives again in Moab. And this is what she says in verse 9. The Lord, she's talking about God, grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And so what Naomi had proposed to Ruth is, hey, I want you to have a family. I want you to have a husband. I want you to have children. And I think you need to stay in Moab to make that happen. I don't think you can do that because God's not going to bless you if you stay with me. Right? And yet what we've seen throughout the narrative in Ruth is God does the exact opposite. Ruth does everything that Naomi asked her not to do, and God blessed it all, right? Every step of the way. And the big thing that Naomi points out to Ruth there in verse 9 is that Ruth is seeking rest, right? And we've talked about that concept a couple of different times as we've studied the book together, but I will assure you, every single person in this room longs for rest. Whether you would describe it with that terminology or not, that is what you long for. You, you look out over the landscape of the world around you, we see the chaos that is all around us all the time in the world, and we 
pursue it in different ways. Some of us pursue it in education so that ultimately we can have rest financially about having a good job one day. Some of you want to be married so badly that you think that ultimately rest is going to be found in your future spouse. Some of us, once we get married, we want a family so badly and so we seek rest and identity through our children. Some of us seek it in other avenues, but the human race consistently over thousands and thousands of years has been seeking one thing. In the midst of the chaos and disorder of the world around us, we want rest. We want rest and we seek peace. And if the book of Ruth teaches us anything, is that true rest and true peace is only found in God. That true hope for all of the deepest longings of our heart can only be found in him. And that's the beauty of what we see in the story is that Ruth longed for rest. Naomi presented a way for Ruth to find it on her own. And yet Ruth chose to follow Naomi and her God. And God was faithful to her to now to the point that she's given birth to a son. Every step of the way. And look, if you and I were a counselor for Ruth, she comes into our counseling session, right? And she's just lost her husband. She has no family. No, and we know that she's a Moabite. Do you think the practical advice we would have given her would have been to run to Israel where she was an enemy of those people and look for a future there? Of course not. That would never be the advice we would give. And yet we see through this story that God is faithful to Ruth through all of it. We see in Ruth chapter 2, starting in, in verse 13, that, that Ruth says that she's a servant. She's just there, like, hey, I'm just trying to survive, is what she says to Boaz. I'm, I'm your servant. I'm just trying to survive. And by the end, she's married to that same man who has been her kinsman redeemer. She's gone from no provision, no husband, no future, to provided for, married, and, and this is the biggest thing, the God of the universe is now her God. She's gone from no God to knowing him. God was not only faithful to Ruth, he's faithful to Boaz. An older man to our knowledge with no family now has a wife and a son to carry on his name along with the name of Mahon. And then God is even faithful to Naomi. And look at verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been more to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I want to focus on those verses for just a second, and I want us to think about Naomi and her story and her plight throughout the, the entire book of Ruth. Right? Because right? Ruth is often the, the center of the story, and I think oftentimes we tend to misunderstand what God's trying to show us as we study the book of Ruth. We think it's like a love story. Like, hey, you just if you find the one, God's going to do something. 
But the hero of the story of the book of Ruth is God. And I think the person we should be focusing most on from a human perspective is probably Naomi because of what God teaches us about his character and how he deals with Naomi. Think think about it. Naomi has lost everything. She had lost her people. She had lost her husband. She had lost her sons. She had lost the ability to provide. She had lost the future hope of her family line. She has lost everything. The only other person I can think of off the top of my head who story might compare in some way, shape, or form to the amount of suffering that Naomi experiences in this story is Job. She's lost everything. And we look at it, by the time she gets to verse 20 and she returns back home, and the women say, hey, is this Naomi? I I remember her. She says, don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara, because God has dealt bitterly with me. Don't call me Naomi. I want my name to be bitter because of how horrible my life is. Some of us have been there. Some of us in life have experienced that level of difficulty and suffering to where we look at our life and we despair to the point of like, I wish my name was bitterness because that's how horrible my plight is. She's, she, she goes from bitter in chapter one to look at what we see here. The women are crying out and worshiping and praising God because of, of him blessing her. Right? She's gone from no family, no heritage, to being redeemed, to having a daughter-in-law who the women cry out, loves her, and is worth more than seven sons. And ultimately, Naomi has experienced God's faithfulness to her in a way that will likely never rattle her faith in him ever again. Because she's seen the promises that God has made to provide for his people and the way that he made for her through the Levitical law, the kinsman redeemer, she has seen God's faithfulness to her. Naomi has gone from bitter in chapter one to rejoicing in God by the end of this story. Why? Because of God's faithfulness. If you notice throughout this story, let me ask you this question. Be honest with yourself for a second. At any point during the reading of these four chapters of Ruth, have you said to yourself, Naomi is showing great dependence upon God and great faithfulness to him? Did that ever once cross your mind as you're reading the story? You might say that of Ruth. You might say that of Boaz. But did it ever cross your mind, I want to be like Naomi? She is a shining example of what I want to be one day. No. She kind of reminds me of Job in some ways. She barely holds on. She suffers and she's barely holding on. And yet God is faithful to her. Why? Because the story of Ruth is a story of a faithful God to an unfaithful follower. Because that's who God is. That's what he does. If you read the Bible, God is consistently faithful to his people when they are faithless. He consistently loves and calls people to himself when they refuse to follow him. He consistently makes a way when there is no way. 
So whether you're suffering and struggling on how to navigate the world, it is never too late to turn to him because God is faithful. Right? Consider what the psalmist says in Psalm 111. He says this, starting in verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and, the, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is what? Gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him, and he remembers his covenant forever. And so he says that who remembers? He doesn't say the people remember it. God remembers it. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. As the story of Ruth is that just because you are struggling, just because I might be struggling, just because I might be suffering, does not mean that God is not present. No, as a matter of fact, it's the story of how God is there and present the entire time, even for Naomi. He provided Ruth. He provided food. Through the law of the kinsman redeemer, he provided Boaz. And by the end of the book, he provides a grandson who will carry on their name. Why? And why would God do that? Right, because... I've not been speaking very highly of Naomi up to this point, have I? So when you look at this, did Naomi deserve this? No. What what has she done that deserves God's favor? But because God is faithful, because God keeps his covenant, because God sticks to his word, Because God keeps his promises even when we do not. He redeems her. For anyone here this morning who is a follower of Christ, that is true of you. When you are faithless, God is faithful. When you are hopeless, God can redeem. We stay by him and we lean into him because he is faithful time and time again. And look at Psalm 119 with me, starting in verse 89. Right, The psalmist says this, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And what is that saying? When God decrees or says something, it is fixed in the hosts of heaven. That is what God has said and is true. God, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Pause and think about this with me for just a minute. Why are you here this morning? Not not because your roommate begged you to be here. Not, Not because your wife or your husband drug you here, or your dad or your mom. Not because, hey, that's what we do in America. We live in the South. We go to church on Sunday morning. Why are you here? You are here because in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascended into the throne room of heaven, he said to his church 
that we would be his witnesses to the end of the earth. And that we would continue to do that. And us being here this morning is an example of God's faithfulness to his people for thousands of years. And long after we are gone, do you know what will still be here? Not you. Maybe not even this particular expression of the local church. But the church will be. Guys, the church has withstood thousands of attempts to undermine it. Let's just pause for a second. Do you guys know that this is not the first pandemic the church has experienced? It's not. We, we as human beings are so self-centered that we think this is the first time that we've ever experienced something like this. By the way, this is not Kevin downplaying COVID, so don't go, my pastor doesn't think it's real. No, it's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is nothing will prevail against the gospel. Nothing will defeat the church because God is behind it and he has pledged his faithfulness to it. The same faithfulness that God displays all throughout the Old Testament to Israel. The same faithfulness that he displays to Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and to the people of Israel subsequently to them, as we'll see in just a minute. That same God has pledged his faithfulness to us. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so that's why we're here this morning. You are not here this morning because you're a southerner. You're not here this morning because it's the right thing to do. You are here because we are here to worship the faithful God forever and ever and amen. And guys, you're not just going to worship him this morning. You've got an entire eternity of it awaiting you. And it's going to be awesome. Like as great as Olivia and the band were this morning, got some balling worship singers in the throne room of heaven. It is going to be amazing. And we gather together as the people of God because God is worthy. Because God is faithful, whether we are or not. And that is something worth celebrating and worshiping. As we celebrate that together, you see the people of Bethlehem as they surround Naomi, and you see Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. God's faithfulness leads to one thing, worship. Right? The, the, the women in Ruth chapter 4 are not declaring how great Naomi is. They're blessing the name of God for what he's done for them. And the inheritance that he's given. So as we see, as we wrap up our time in Ruth, right, we see first and foremost, God is faithful, even when we can't see it. And the second thing that we see is this. The story of Ruth is a shining example that God's view of a situation or a story or something that we might be walking through is far bigger than our perception of reality. That God's view of what is going on in Ruth and Naomi's life and the purpose of their suffering and what they are walking through is far greater than what Ruth and Naomi can ever dare imagine or believe. Look at this. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. 
Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Seems innocent enough, no? It's a simple genealogy. Right? Oftentimes, when we come to a section of Scripture and we see a genealogy listed out, we're like, okay, cool, thanks, God, moving on. I don't need any of these names. Well, why does this matter? I'm here to tell you there's a lot more. There's a reason why God has that recorded in the Word. Because here's what he's communicating to us by sharing that genealogy. Go back to Ruth 1 with me for just a second. Right, look at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Stop there. So this occurred in the time of the judges. And if, for those of you guys who are here that, that's, that first week that we started studying this book, I proceeded to let you guys know that the time of the judges was not a great time for Israel. They were conquered. They were disobedient. They broke the covenant time and time again. They were punished a lot. And they had a lot of poor leadership. Now read through that genealogy again on your own. Who's the last name listed in that genealogy? David. What do we see? From Boaz to Obed to Jesse to David. That Ruth and Naomi's suffering is God's way of preparing through their line to raise up a faithful king who will rescue Israel from themselves. I mean, think about it. Ruth and Naomi's suffering can be directly tied to King David's rescue of Israel from, from the judges. A faithful king after God's own heart. So what does this say to us? God always has a plan. Doesn't mean you're going to like it. Like, I, I doubt if, if we brought Ruth and Naomi up here this morning, like, are you guys pumped about that? Are you happy to be part of that plan? They would probably say, no, not a great experience. But the redemption that God brings through it is far greater. That God's rescue and redemption in the book of Ruth is far greater than Ruth and Naomi. It's the entire nation of Israel. And for those of us on this side of the resurrection, what line does Jesus come through? David. That God's redemption of his people, his church, his bride, those of us here this morning who are followers of Jesus can be traced back to this story. This is part of your story, guys. It's part of your ancestry.com, free story. You don't even have to pay for it. This is what God is doing. You know, one of my favorite pastors over my time of being a, a follower of Christ is a guy by the name of John Piper. And he has a couple of famous lines, but one of, one of the ones that has made the most impact on me in my life is he, he says regularly, don't waste your suffering. And, and people tend to say, like, uh, you know, we tend to live in a, a season and time, at least I think culturally for us in the United States, where we, we don't handle suffering very well. We tend to not handle it very well. 
And, and I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it or not, but I, I would submit that the way I'm seeing it handled, including by me, is usually probably not the right way. And he, he said this at a time period in his life when he was going through cancer. Right? And he preached a sermon in 2013 that I listened to that, like, you know, sometimes you just have those moments where God just gets a hold of you and just rips your heart out, does some surgery real quick, and then shoves it back in. And that's what God was doing this particular day. And as he was talking, he was talking about suffering and not wasting cancer and living for the glory of God. And he said this, when it comes to suffering and pain, none of us are immune. Worse, the pain so often seems pointless. I would imagine that Ruth and Naomi felt like the pain that they were experiencing was so pointless. He says, in fact, pain in our lives is not pointless at all. So what does suffering produce? What is it doing in our lives? Right, and then he, he took us to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want to read these verses to you. Starting in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And he goes on to say this. He says, verse 17 is the main argument that Paul is trying to make. Because it is the main thing that this light and momentary affliction is doing something. It is working for us an eternal weight of glory. Because what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is that our suffering prepares us as it drives us to long for Jesus and what he has promised, eternity with him. I don't know about you guys, but the last 18 months has kind of sucked. Can a pastor say that word? I don't know. I remember my fourth grade teacher would be furious with me right now. Kevin, say Hoovered. Some of you guys don't even know what a Hoover vacuum is, so you don't even get the joke. It's not been great. Right? We see fighting amongst us. It's hard to know where to stand. It's hard to know where to be. It, like, I've seen families at dinner tables fight over something as silly as a mask. Like, this is causing families to not spend time together. Right? I've seen the church being ripped apart over issues that God is just probably rolling over in fury over. We see great suffering around us. Pain, heartache. And, and, and let me just say this. It should cause in us, if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, when we look out over the landscape of the world, it should bother us. But not because we can fix it. 
but because this is not our home. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning and you hear me saying this and you're like, I, I hear you, pastor. I look out on the landscape of the world and I hate it and I don't understand why. That is God calling to you that this place is not our final destination. That shalom and rest are not here because Christ has not returned yet. And yet you long for that rest because God has placed it in your very soul when he created you. And guys, that rest will not be restored by the right political candidate. It will not be restored by mask mandates being given or rescinded. It will not be restored by a vaccine or a cure. It will not be restored by getting the right job or marrying the right person. It can only be restored and found in Jesus Christ. This is why when we, we look at these verses, right, God gives suffering to us so we might realize that we long for him and that this is not our home. This is not me up here saying, be happy about it and rejoice in it. Right? I've heard plenty of Christians over the course of my life be like, you're suffering, you just lack faith. You don't have enough faith. Okay, I'm the bad Christian, sorry. Naomi lacked faith yet God was faithful because God uses all things for the good of those who love him. And some of you might be sitting there like, how? How could a good God do this? How could a good God allow suffering? Because his view of what he's doing to redeem the world is far greater than your, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, than this light and momentary affliction. God redeeming Israel through David and redeeming the world through Christ is far more important than the light and momentary affliction of Ruth and Naomi. God redeeming the world is far greater than the light and momentary affliction in the life of Kevin Anderson. Because Christ is all in all. Right, Ruth and Naomi suffer greatly, but Ruth in particular keeps her eyes on things unseen, that Naomi's God would be her God, and the result, redemption, is far better than a husband in Moab. That suffering redeemed many in this story. It redeems Boaz, it redeems Ruth, it redeems Naomi. And you guys ever think about this? If Ruth and Naomi never suffered, would God's faithfulness look as beautiful as it does? But this is what God does. He's in the business of redeeming, including Israel, from bad leaders to a godly king. Guys, this is just one example of God's redemption. This is just one example in a huge story about God's redemption and faithfulness to his people and to his creation. And some of you guys might be sitting there because I know what it's like to be a skeptic because I was one at one point in time. And you might be saying, well, that's just one example. It can't be the rule. It might just be the exception. And this is what I love being about, uh, this is why I love being a disciple of Jesus, right? One, I could just share stories of my own life, of God's 
redemptive work in my life and Jackie's life of our own suffering. If you want to go back and listen to it, you can listen to the first sermon in this series, and I shared our story. There's people in this church that I could share their story. But this is what I want to do. So I want this to sink in because this is what I would say about God's redemptive work and suffering and God's call for us to embrace that suffering as a light and momentary affliction on the road to redemption and finding hope in Christ. Is God has skin in the game. God is not asking you to do something that he has not already done himself on a far greater level. Think about this with me for just a second, right? Obed has been bored. Obed means servant, right? And what this, what, the, the reason they named him that was because Ruth was the servant of God and that uh, Boaz was a servant of God. And so Obed was a testimony to God's faithfulness to them as servants. And that through Obed, right, God is going to rescue Israel through his grandson. Here's what I want to submit to you this morning. Jesus is the better Obed. Obed means servant. Jesus was the suffering servant. Right, let me just read for you Isaiah 53. This is Isaiah the prophet talking about the Messiah who would save the world. Right, listen to what he says about what this Messiah would look like. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to, whom, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment was taken away. And for his generation, he was considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So this is God's own son. And look at what it says is true of him. Despised and rejected of men. That he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that he was pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. Oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Yet look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. 
and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. But he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Church, the suffering of Jesus is what saves us. Don't ever think that God cannot relate with you. That God has no idea what you're going through. For the life of his very son was willingly given to purchase us out of our bondage to sin and rebellion. It has rescued us. And that is why God is worthy of our, of our worship and adoration. And when many might have been standing before the cross that day, if you remember Jesus' disciples constantly throughout the New Testament, when Jesus would talk of his upcoming and impending uh, suffering and persecution, they would constantly say, may it not be, that can't happen, that's not going to happen to you. And every time Jesus is like, no, it must. Because he was willing to suffer, to save God's people, to save us. And so the question as we bring our time in this book to a close, right, that we can ask ourselves is, what does God want us to do with our suffering? Or what does he want us to do with our plight? I think this is one of those few times as a pastor that I can stand up here and talk about suffering and be pretty sure that everyone in here is suffering on some level right now just because of what the last 18 months have been for us in some way, shape, or form. And here's what we can do when we face difficulty and sorrow and suffering as human beings. We can look at it and we can fear and we can despair. And that's often our, our, our default, right? We look at the difficulty and the suffering, and, and we just dwell on it. And the more we dwell on how terrible it is, the worse it seems, and the more, the more it seems there's no way out. I've, I've talked to more people that are dealing with anxiety and depression than I have at any other time in my pastorate combined in the last 18 months. And I think one of the reasons for that it's because we've exchanged, right, looking towards the eternal glory of our Lord for our current stance and situation. And guys, this, we are, I am not immune to this. When we were at stay-at-home orders back in, in, last year, Jackie and I both experienced during that time this just extreme, almost like hopelessness to the point where like I said to her, we are not allowed to read the news right now because it is not helpful. Because all it was doing was breeding negativity in our lives and pointing us away from Jesus and that our ultimate hope was found in him. And so we can stare down the reality of suffering and allow the tsunami of negativity to destroy us or we can face our suffering as God calls us to in 2 Corinthians. Let me read that to you one more time. What Paul says in the midst of suffering to the church at Corinth, he says, so we do not lose heart. 
That's what we're after. Right? In the midst of suffering, what are we after? What is success? Don't lose heart. Cry out to God to help you not to lose heart if you need to. But we do not lose heart. It says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is what? Being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't lose heart. You are being renewed daily by a God who is faithful in all circumstances, whether you see it or feel it or not. God is faithful. And we can look to Ruth and God's call to her as an encouragement to not lose heart. Ruth, broken, a woman who can do nothing to save herself from her plight. God calls her to follow Naomi and to follow him. And Ruth submits. And what is the one thing that Ruth does well? She clings to God and trusts him. And God saves. He saves beyond her wildest dreams. Church, we are broken. I know that's not what you want on your Hallmark card. But we are broken. One of the fascinating things to me about being in ministry over the, over the last 15 years is I have yet to come in contact with anyone Atheist, agnostic, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Zoroastrian, whatever background someone comes from, someone that thinks they're perfect and has their life together. If there's one thing that ties the human race together as we realize this world's broken and that we're part of the problem. Sometimes we downplay how big a part of the problem we are, but we realize we're a part of the problem. We're broken, and we can do nothing to save ourselves. Suffering is not going away. Pain is not going away. Death is not going away. We can despair in that, or we can do what God calls us to do, to submit and follow Jesus, to confess sin, repent and follow him, and trust in his faithfulness to us. Church, God saves, and he saves beyond your wildest dreams. And what is being prepared for us is beyond all comparison. Because Jesus is better. That is the story of Ruth. God is faithful, and Jesus is better.